Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Each week, we bring you the Dewing Grain market report, giving you up-to-date information and insider advice, followed by Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues while sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing and this week's market report. Welcome to the market report. What follows is my thoughts or gut instincts of what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decisions to trade is yours. Market report, week commencing 7th of October 2019. Not a lot has happened this week, so there isn't that much change. We're going to say that um, feed barley is still 115x, there's lots of boats about in east coast ports so there's plenty of people trying to buy it um same with feed wheat it's 130x for feed wheat which is pretty much the same as the last two weeks in fact and if you compare the price of of spot feed wheat 130 and may feed wheat at 138 eight pounds a ton for carrying it all the way through you have to ask the question can you do something else with the shed to make more money it's it's um costing you some money to keep blowing it you haven't got the money in the bank for the crop uh you might get bugs you might have um a shed fall in i don't know is there something else that shed could do for you uh, that earns you more than let's say you're at a thousand tons eight thousand pounds just putting it out there anyway milling wheat sticking around the same sort of premium of about 15 pounds premium over feed wheat uh, the closer you are to a mill, the better that, or the more likely you get that full premium. The further you get, so the northeast Norfolk coast, you probably will be uh, damaged a bit by the haulage rate. But the main thing I want to just touch on this week is malting barley and, and the lack of um, dramatic trade in that. There is a surplus and there is a very, there's too much barley for too small a market. So the, the, the buyer is able to be fussy. And it's proving to be, or will prove to be, an expensive occupation delivering barley to the molster. He's, he's going to, we have some molsters who will take um, spring barley with skinning up to 10%, um, and other molsters are saying we're rejecting it at 4%, as an example. That's a really subjective test, and it's a very expensive game to play. Um, if the price of spring barley is in the region of 125 pounds a ton if it's perfect then feed barley 115 isn't quite in the right place but is it worth the hassle or the risk of a redirection and and that's you getting a a discount to 115x and it's getting close to a point where hopefully people will write off that barley and just put it in the feed bin and lose it because it's 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 too tight and too much hassle but I've got an interesting um, scenario for you. At this moment, we have more than enough barley in our bins and in our stock that we've still got to price that we're trading with the molster bit by bit. And if someone came along to me and said, oh, I've got three loads of barley, would you like to buy it? How would you react if we just said, we're not in the market? Now, that there's no obligation for anybody to buy anything off anybody. There's no obligation for me to say, yep, yeah, I'll definitely give you a price for anything. It's the, the very nature of if the market's going to collapse, why on earth would I take a position with it if I can't sell it anywhere else? And we're kind of at that point at this moment 
Some varieties, some perfect barleys have got a price, but lots of them are not really there. And if I was to say, I'm not in the market for it, thanks very much, how does that make you feel? Does that make me the baddie? Does that make you the victim? Does it make you, I don't know, angry, probably? But I, I must say, at this moment, we are kind of not in the market for malting barley because we've got enough around us. And I don't know what there is particularly left out there to sell, but it is a, a dynamic. And I think you need to, at the very least, make everyone you're, you're likely to trade with aware of what you've got. So should something arise or when something arises, make sure that they're, if someone comes in with a serious bid for malting barley, that they're conscious of your of your crop that hasn't been traded. So I'm, I'm putting this as a poor little merchant doesn't know what to do but it is a real situation where sometimes if there's too much of something then there isn't a price for it and that is in the end something that you should have dealt with before now which is a bit harsh but true anyway so if that offends anyone send the complaints to the normal place and um and we will obviously observe them at that time <laughs> thanks for listening and hopefully next week will be a lot more interesting in terms of market movements than this one was Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. Hey, this is an advertising space. Reach hundreds of leaders of agriculture, mostly in Norfolk, by advertising here. It's surprisingly good value. If you're interested in finding out how much, email us hello at tinshedproductions.co.uk. Much, much cheaper than any local newspapers and straight into the ears of your potential customers. This morning I've got with me Jake Fines. Good morning, Jake. Good morning. And uh, Ian's here to ask again intelligent questions. <laughs> morning. Well, maybe not. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> so Jake... Tell us exactly the title of your job at Holcomb Estate. Uh, it's a new position. I've been at Holcomb for 11 months and four days. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm counting. <laughs> and it's the general manager of conservation, so it sits within the senior management team. Okay. And the dynamic is that, that it's a very successful farming uh, unit. We've been trading with them for several years, and we, we're managing their grain store. Um, along you come, and, and, I, and I suddenly think, uh-oh, we're going to start... Uh, Losing lots of fields to flowers and things is you know is my scepticism or my fears. I don't know how long you've dealt with Holcomb, but Holcomb has been through a sort of a, a series of transitions, um, and with Paul Hoverson at the helm for seven years now, I think we've seen some really positive soil management, more rotations, bringing livestock back into the rotation, uh, and then with James Beamish, who's now in his third year, is Paul's prodigy from. Mm. From Saul. Saul. So you know, so you've got you've got a you've got a good team there. You've got a young team on the ground. They have a there's no sort of hierarchy. So it's all it's all very. I came into Holcomb's thing. This is a good farming operation. Paul, when he first came in, is very good at uh, you know diversifying in in the sense that if there's an expert in a field, he will get them to come and do something specifically. And we managed grain stores and he he had a monster grain store that was dead on its feet i have three golden rules don't have any friends 
only accept invoices and get a fencer to put up a fence. So I think some of Paul has those sort of principles. <laughs> right, let's, let's the, 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 you know, when you do something like a podcast, it's, it's, it's unusual in this industry. And, and every now and again, you get a scoop. And, and this last night on Channel 4, there was um, the announcement of, uh, of the State of Nature report that's being published today. And there was a very hefty piece on that about, and I'll quote uh, Michael McCarthy, saying that 70 years of spraying the land is poisoning the land and killing everything. So here you are as the environmentalist and, and, and the person looking at biodiversity. I'm a land manager. Yeah, okay. Not environmentalist. I think if you okay. start um, uh, conversations I have with various people, uh, is the language has got to be right. Yeah, that's absolutely that, that's true. If, uh, speaking to Isabella Tree, who's written the book Wilding. Yeah, that is you can't sell Wilding to a farmer because it's land abandonment in his book. Yeah. So they need to change the language to engage with people that manage sixty nine percent of the landscape. You're absolutely right. That's it's there's the level of ignorance on our side of the industry about. You know, anyone that isn't just like maximising yield for grain. So therefore, you will, we'll, we'll put you in a box and call you something like an environmentalist. And you're right. You know, I get very, very touchy about being called Dick Turpin as a grain trader. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the point is that, um, yeah, a, a land manager. So, so, uh, and and my philosophy is the land has to be managed. Right. So we talk of the, in the State of Nature report, 97% of hay meadows disappearing from the landscape. We need to reinstate those hay meadows, but we need to manage them. We can't marginalise nature to the boundaries of field. When it was thriving, it was across the farm. But we can still use, we can still go to the chemical toolbox. We can still, uh, we can look at regenerative farming. We can look at how we can heal our soil so they're more productive and they're less reliant on inputs. Okay, so, so you know, chemicals, the chemical toolbox, is by, by definition of the report, the poisoning aspect. Let's say we're going to stop producing, it's, it's ineffectual because you can't get clean runs on the land. We're going to make it into a hayfield. How do you manage that? Well, you don't make the whole field into a hayfield. You make the field more economic for the investment in machinery and men that you had. Okay. So you square up your field yep. and you make it easier to travel, easier to combine. All those scoots and all those corners and all those, uh, the, um, the field boundaries that were set up part of the Enclosures Act mm. that are actually not so fit for purpose for modern agriculture, but we can square them up. The, the scoots, the corners, the, the, where there used to be a pond, whatever, whatever the bits that you cut out. Um, and, and, and those bits are your, those bits, yields have plateaued. Wheat yields have plateaued at about eight and a half tonnes a hectare. Yeah, yeah. Um, why? Because we're farming the crap. Yeah. If you stop farming the crap, which on some farms can be as much as, I've taken up to 40% out of a farm. Right. Uh, that farm in the last three years has run into super profits because I wasn't farming the land that wasn't yielding. I increased my yields from 8.5 tonnes a hectare to 11 tonnes a hectare because I'm only farming the best. And you're, you're cutting out the, the crazy wastage aspect of it. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And, and in the bit that's the scoots, do you specifically plant specific things amongst the grass, or what do you do? So you pl you you reestablish species-rich hay meadows. As an example, you might uh, put in pollinator crops. You might put in uh, you might cultivate for rare arable plants. 
are things that we have lost through dressers and more efficient combines. So we can re we can let the natural seed bank build up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's multiple, and it's, you know we can't. Every farm on every field in every county is different. You cannot have one prescription that suits all. Yeah. And the person that knows that land better than anyone is the farmer. Mm. He knows which bit. You know, I drive past a field every day to work where the farmer every year is planting and drilling the same piece of land that was a pond that actually yields nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do that. <laughs> We all do it everywhere. You can see it everywhere. Why we you know the flailing the first of September and everyone's flailing hedges. Mm-hmm. Why? Because that's what we do. But if you've buffered your hedge, if it doesn't affect your crop because you've taken that area out of conventional food production and you're having some sort of environmental crop that you're hoping will then benefit your food production. Um, and it is managed, and it's part of a farming system. So whether it's producing hay as a byproduct of biodiversity, that can go to forage. We're looking at compost. We're also looking at so compost that will go back onto the land to improve your fertility. Mm. Uh, we're looking. Um, we're looking at use for AD plant. Maybe mm. haylage. Hay could has has an AD plant usage mm-hmm. as opposed to growing maize. So yep. suddenly we can change the whole dynamics of this. So we have a mixed farming system. That's, that relies on multiple um, management techniques for multiple gains. So, so I mean, there's so much in in all of that. The the, the hedge, the the first of September, out comes the uh, the delicately manoeuvred machine that completely slaughters every field hedge that there is. What you're saying is, let it go because you, you, you're going to the, the field. most expensive operation on most farms is the management of their field boundaries, their hedges. Mm. They don't effectively get paid for it. They do it because it's wet. I've got a margin so I can travel down and cut and cut it. Uh, it makes it look tidier. Um, and why are we doing that? Why do we need? Why do we need to cut all the hedges? So if I've got a hedge running north south, it has no effect. There's no shading to the crop. If I've buffered it with a hay meadow or a cultivated margin or whatever, I've removed that. So I have removed my scoots to make my arable production more effective. Um, why, why am I wasting my time? Why don't I do what they used to do? McConnell invented the flail, as I from I Probably. sort of searched it. That was in the forties, mm-hmm. um, and before that, the boys finished doing the arable work, and they went on to coppice or lay hedges. Norfolk wasn't, you know, most of Norfolk hedges, apart from the Enclosures Act, especially at Holcombe, they're mainly single species, mm-hmm. and they would have been they would have been coppiced on a fifteen-year rotation. You know, I went to a Suffolk farmer who actually has maintained that ethos and he has double hedges over his ditches. He's on heavy Beckel series clay and his ditches are pristine and clean and he never needs to dig them out and ditch them because the hedge has shaded so there's no growth. Okay, yeah, because, they, well, di- ditching and hedging was a was a summertime job, wasn't it? You've been around for a Yeah, few I'm a bit of an old cod, yeah. <laughs> but so we've already seen a change in cereal production mm. with black grass. Yep. So now in 1963, when grey partridges were at their peak, it was a spring cropping system. That peak never returned because we literally overnight went from spring drilling to winter drilling. Mm-hmm. And effectively, we, we, they lost six months of food. Um, so we're now with black grass. We're now seeing spring cropping, yeah. With, uh, and with with AD with maize and sugar beet, we're seeing spring cropping is becoming more favourable because 
we've created our own problems and we've lost rotations we've lost livestock out of the rotation the use of long straw long straw it, it, so long straw is 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 um it's muck okay so it's a the the application of i've never um, heard that phrase ever uh, it's a south norfolk thing obviously well i, I was born in south norfolk it's terrible <laughs> I'm, I'm really embarrassed by this no, I, so, i'm so, usually the knowledge on old things and you're like that's great so long straw is long is, straw muck Right. Okay. So stuff out out of the cattle shed. Um, that's a it's a nutrient product. It's a plant yep. food product. Yep. But it's a it's a pain in the ass, isn't it? Because you have to then you know look at some of the costings and budgets I've done for mucking out cattle sheds and then transporting the muck to the field and then spreading it and then the compaction and then if it's if you've got a weather event. But then if an arable farmer looks at the usage of nitrogen when applied. And if the plant isn't isn't at a condition that it wants to use the nitrogen, and then it rains, it just all disappears into the watercourses. Whereas long straw, it's a slow leaching all the way through the summer. So the plant, depending on weather conditions and all these the weather events that we have, the plant takes it up as and when it wants it. I, 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 at the age of probably 10, was driving a Dexter tractor with my dad and the trailer on the back that he'd put the, the, the store muck onto the trailer and he would literally i'd stop after every i don't know five yards ten yards and he would chuck a few forkfuls out which he would then by hand go and move over the field this we're talking about really old-fashioned stuff when everyone else was investing in muck so I, I, you know that so you'd end up with a field with lots of little piles of muck on and yeah we drove up and down that field it, it was it was nuts but hey my dad was there and he had time on his hands but how much how much artificial end did he buy uh, well, back in those days, you, you'd uh, you know, your rep would come round and probably sell you three bags of twenty ten ten, and that was it. But uh, not as much as today, yeah, without yeah. a doubt. I mean, and well, and, and the indexes of my dad's land when he when he took it on to when he left it, um, you know, both at Bressingham and then at South Walsham, we took we moved. Um, one of his proudest things when he retired was that everything was way up there. Everything was in good state, whereas the previous uh, tenant had, had, had taken as much as he can out, as people do. Well, uh, thereby hangs a tale with modern farming and what they call it, tarmac farming. So there are these huge FPT rents, people will go in and they'll just oh, yeah, but take that, that bit of land that, for what it is and then pass it on to the passes on to someone else once they've maximised they, they do that to the extreme in Argentina I went there with um, Brown and Co a few years ago and, and Charles Whittaker was you know, driving us for hundreds of miles while we just sort of looked out the window, listened to his commentary about basically they would, farmers would the landowner would rent the land out for six months and then swap to the next landowner and, and so every landowner that was renting it, or the farmer that was actually physically farming the land would just take everything he could from it without putting anything back in and gradually the, the, the fields were becoming less and less and we, we, we've that's probably in the recent past and we're, we're now seeing a real change in farmers attitude to the thing that's most important to them which is the, their soil mm. so we look at um, the use of long straw muck the use of livestock, catch crops, cover crops, actually. So there is, there's, a growing, there's a growing industry within farming that are really looking at alternatives to maintaining. You know, there are some, they talk about only 60 to 100 harvests left. They do. We've got to make the soil we've got healthy. And that's, that's what you're saying, isn't it? Absolutely. We've got to be, uh, we, we've got to be more efficient, more sustainable, 
in our in our production of food. <laughs> so right, let's get the let's get the beer going. I'll, yeah, Webby, hold the microphone. What have you got then? Um, so these are it's a very trendy multi pack Redwell Brewery. I'm a big beer fan, like most. Um, but American Pale Ale. What is American? Not that it is. What is American Pale Ale, and why has that got like the Golden Gate bridges on it? Marketing. Yeah. So it's clear. It's a nice amber colour. Have you been to Redwell Brewery? No. It's in the Arches in Brackendale in Norwich. You've got a head. That's the best head you've yeah, had for a while, I, isn't it? I had mic in one end and <laughs> can in the other. Anyway, what's it like? I haven't tried one yet because of all of the froth. It, there. It's uh, hoppy and quite floral. I don't mind it. It's um, just looking at the can here. London 2016 International Beer Challenge Gold uh, Gold Award winner. Not bad beer. Let's get to the. How do you argue with the the, the farmer is in a corner? He's being pointed at. How, what is the answer to someone who I don't eat meat? I don't do this. They point at the farmer because that's an easy option. But actually, they need to point at government mm. because farmers are just doing what they've always done is doing what they've been asked to do. Mm. Whether it's produce food, whether it's uh, produce food following a world war, whether it's um, uh, becoming more efficient and opening more land up to food production. Or actually, what we're expecting is for them to deliver, readdress the nature and the biodiversity and the, the report that came out yesterday. I think they'll do that. I think they'll do it very well because they are the only ones that can deliver that. Mm. No one else is going to do it. If we look at so veganism, so uh, meat consumption actually hasn't fallen with, with social media that I know you're very good at. <laughs> I'm, I'm really modern, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we now have the ability for a small for a small section of society to have a very large voice. Yeah. So we must uh, farmers must are quite a large section of society. Well, they're managing a large area. They have the ability to have a significantly bigger voice. You know, some of the great stuff that the NFU are doing and looking at net carbon by twenty forty. That's a that's a that's actually farmer led. You know, and then it was. It was about two weeks later. Government said, "No, no, we're going to about 2050." So actually, the farmers are driving this. The farmers need to drive the readdressing of uh, biodiversity and nature conservation within w- within the landscape. Whether it's farm, whether it's pony paddocks, whether it's the uplands, whether it's moorlands, marshland. You know, farmers have have the skill set to to readdress this. If we then come on to methane, where we're all being challenged about beef production. Mm. Uh, uh, don't don't associate American feedlots and grain-fed bovine absolutely to uh, to grass-fed beef. Um, the, the biggest, do you know the biggest crop in the UK? The biggest crop. Well, uh, it's grass. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, of course. Yeah, grass is the biggest crop, and that's what we're feeding to bovine. That's what they like to eat. We're not. We might finish them on cereal for their last six to ten weeks. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, we're feeding them grass-fed. And just to spell it out, grass grows by absorbing carbon. Exactly. As grass, actually, a, a well-managed grass forward is a better carbon sink than a conifer forest. Yeah, so uh, but so th- those are... that The ar- argument there is, is a defence of your position. That the, the problem we have is that people have a kind of a very holy point-of-finger mentality with a very loud voice on social media it's you know should should we be looking at 
gaining knowledge and coming up with counter-arguments about what they're eating, point the finger back. Is that a better way around it? So we talked earlier about language, so we don't argue people. We don't argue no, with no people. No. We have we constructive debate. conversations, okay. <laughs> uh, and we, at some points we differ, um, but we look for solutions. I think you should have a discussion with my wife. It'd be great, because you'd be really defining stuff, and you'd get quite cross with that. Carry on. Sorry. <laughs> I'd love to meet your wife. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Has she actually got a medal? <laughs> yeah, it's the, it's the happiest person in the world medal. Um, when you're at work. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um, no, so, so right, we, we debate. How, how do we make the... Because farmers, farmers are, are in a corner, and, and I've, got, I've got guys who are affected by this. They, don't, they, don't, they can't articulate. They can't put the, their point across well enough just by saying, look, actually, carbon is being eaten by the animals. It isn't as bad as you think. The person who's pointing the finger is not going to listen. Yes, there are individuals that you cannot have a conversation with. You, they have no understanding. Um, I think farmers becoming better and better at standing their ground and putting across a, a, a valid point that actually um, that are, and actually also needs to look at how they produce food and how more efficiently and effectively they mm. can produce food. I think they're really looking at, looking at that at the moment. Um, if I look at Holcomb's herd of beef sucklers, it's probably 800, grazing 400 hectares of wet grassland, uh, on the National Nature Reserve, on a triple SI, mm. on an area of special conservation, on a Ramsar site, on a Nantra 2000 site with 800,000 visitors. Um, that I, I, I perceive that as a farm. It's a beef farm. Mm-hmm. And it grows amazing biodiversity so, at the so, same um, time. One assumes that the, 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 the fields they're on would, if you didn't put the cattle on them, would just, what would happen if the cows weren't on there? They would over time scrub up. Okay, and would they still get all of the, all of those titles that you gave? Them? I don't even know what Nantra is. I'm really ignorant. What is that? It's European designation. So okay. when we exit Europe, all those designations will disappear. I suspect. So you lose a few titles, but do you do you lose the money that goes with it? Is there is there a, a reduction in that? So the nature reserve it performs just like any other farm. So it collects its, its income is BPS and HLS. Okay, um, but actually, what it does deliver is significant public goods. So I probably yes. see the income increase bizarrely. Yeah. So, so, so the point is, it'll scrub up if the cattle weren't on there. You'd still be get the same status, but in the end, it'd be much harder to manage, would it? Uh, what we would lose, we would lose its biodiversity. Okay, that's fascinating. You see that that. So we've got species that have seen huge declines, as per the report yesterday. Mm. Uh, let's use lapwing as an example, that have seen 47% declines in the last 40 years. Holcomb's breeding population of a lapwing in the last 12 months increased by 30%. Well, that's, that's... With an increasing beef unit, with a better understanding of the synergy between cattle and breeding waders, uh, with species management, so we talk about the general licence, and that's a whole other conversation but actually with good management we can readdress some of the losses and we're trying to demonstrate that on the nature reserve i i saw one of your tweets and i thought you at the farmers weekly awards and in fact you weren't um but you made a very important point um because the award goes to um so the tweet you referred to was my frustration it's great all these industries whether it's farming industry or the airline industry you know or the fashion industry that 
everyone likes the, season, the seasons of patting ourselves on the back. Mm. And there are farmers out there doing some great stuff. Uh, Caroline Drummond got a Lifetime Achievement Award yep. and all the wonderful stuff she's done for Leaf yep. are well-deserved. And congratulations, Caroline. Yeah, yeah. But the tone of my tweet was a frustration that we're being challenged to improve and manage the landscape better but we're not taking ownership of it. And if the Farmers Weekly Award was to have an award for best environmental delivery on a farm, that would send out a wonderful message to all those vegans we talked about previously Mm. to actually farmers are readdressing the balance yes it would be a very very positive statement wouldn't it but there's there's an aversion you know farmers for some reason seem to have an aversion when you talk about environment when you talk about nature conservation when you Mm. talk about biodiversity they um but they you know you know you have this great opportunity to be the driver be the ones in be the ones in the driving seat to grasp it by the stem and push it forward and and deliver it and make these changes and get paid for it yeah, well, that's again. We're back to the subject of government, and 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 does the government have to have the idea, or they're they're pushed into a, an idea by people who who are thinking through the right way to be farming? It's who's who's going to guide the government to take us away from their previous subsidy section into what we're doing next? I I I think it's a it's it's a collaborative approach, and it's it's not we can't have any one sector of land base or government base or um ngos <laughs> uh, but it's a, it's it, it's a there are multiple issues that need to be addressed farmers can do some how we pay farmers to deliver that i think three billion there are one hundred and four thousand farm holdings in england they currently receive 1.7 billion um so if if we're we're devolved government so we just concentrate on england that's a small fry that's that short change from a government perspective. Sounds big to the man in the street. Mm. The three hundred million that was going weekly on the red bus to the NHS, uh, or the, or wasn't. Um, that's actually very small amounts of cash in the grand scheme of things. So these headline figures make us think: Well, why are those farmers getting all that money? But actually, if farmers getting money and then de- delivering tangible benefits to I the think, man to the man in the street. To the man yeah. in the street. That that nullifies some of the the key arguments that are against him because we we we've you know we we we, are, we, we have we have an urban pop we have a ninety percent urban population or even higher yeah so um, how do, it's trying, trying to get that message to them that actually we're you know your food is being produced a, it, it's wonderfully it's good for your health it's good for your well being and it's also looking after a wonderful landscape. Jake, thank you so so much for your instalment so far. And we look forward to having you on the show again very soon. Thanks, Jake. Pleasure. Look forward to it. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to get new episodes as they're released. Dew and Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, we can supply you with the best strategies help you achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Call now on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewinggrain.co.uk or follow us on Twitter. We are at dewinggrain. The Dewing Grain podcast is produced by Tinshed Productions in conjunction with East Coast Design Studio. 